live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstedt. We, we, I think, you and I agree on this particular one. A number of years ago, Crazy Keith Olbermann, when he used to do his show like on MSNBC, oh, now yeah. I think he's back mm-hmm. on ESPN, he used to have this feature called The Worst Person in the World. You know, and it was always, he would almost always pick some conservative that he was appalled about and things like that. And, and again, it was Crazy Keith Olbermann, so you take it with a grain of salt. But every once in a while, you do get these stories where... It, it is it is the worst person in the world, mm-hmm. and there is a story like that in today's news. Now, let me let me kind of back into this. I don't know about you, but I I I do I do think that at some point in time there is a judgment day for people's lives, and and maybe maybe it's not standing in front of Saint Peter, but I I kind of imagine that maybe at the end of one's life you're standing in front of Saint Peter, and there's that big book. On the one side of the book, it's got the columns of all the good stuff you've done in your life, and then you've got the columns of like the bad stuff that you've yeah, done in yeah, your life, yeah. and they kind of like balance this out, and they decide whether you're taking the elevator up or taking mm-hmm. it down. Now maybe yeah. that's naive, but that's kind of like my 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 image, and and. I, there's all sorts of times where you hear these stories, and I I just don't want to be that guy standing in front of St. Peter explaining, I don't know, why you why you stole the muscular dystrophy donations. <laughs> you know, okay. Right. right. Uh, June, you know, June 18th, 1987, you know, you, you stole the, the jar with all the Jerry's kids' money. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy having to explain it. And, and there is a story in today's news like that. Former... And this is, of course, the dazzling detail. A former Jefferson County sheriff's deputy, so she's a cop, charged with burglarizing homes of people. All right, now that in and of itself is bad enough. Mm-hmm. It's a former cop who's burglarizing homes, but the dazzling detail is she would burglarize homes of people while they were attending funerals of loved ones. Right. right. <laughs> What do you say? It's about as bad as it gets right there. It, it is. Uh, Janelle Garricky, 29, of Jefferson, faces a single count of burglary, a felony, for a February incident in which a family returned home from a funeral and found her in their kitchen. The complaint describes at least a half dozen other incidents in which she appeared to try to enter homes or appeared to succeed. All right. It wasn't a one and done. I mean, this happened more than one Only time. One, yeah, one count, but there's right, other yes, like yes, similar yes, acts that are yeah. but alleged. But it's it's like they seem to think that she would, you know, she would find out when people were likely out of out of their out of town or away from their homes or attending the funeral of a loved one, Jeez. and then she would bust in and try to steal stuff and she wasn't very clever about it apparently I mean, you read through this and people like would see her like including mm-hmm. you, you'd have oh I, I recognize that woman who's going into that house there I, my dad used to bowl with her i mean it's it, so she wasn't a very clever criminal but 
you're you're burglarizing homes of people who are at, at their worst moment in their life. You know, your spouse has passed away, your kids, you know, your your parents, you're breaking into well, their right. homes. And you know, at what point does the filter go off and the alarm in your head make you realize you're doing something you shouldn't do? Is it when you're scanning the obits? <laughs> I mean, should, should that be when it happens? Well, I think that would be a good sign if, if you're if you're a would be burglar and you're planning on you know okay who whose place can I break into and your idea is to go to the obits yeah mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. probably I, well I think that alarm in your head that that little voice that says eh, you probably don't want to do this it should have probably been going off a long time before that but yes I, I if, if you're if you're scanning the obits looking for oh when's the funeral the funeral is a Wednesday good Jeez. I'm going out to their house yeah that's um, this is another reason why I, I would I, I never got the judge bug, never wanted to be a judge, and probably wouldn't have been got appointed because if somebody come if she if in fact the state is able to prove that she is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, I you know to me the sentence is clear. It's just every darn day that you can give him. You broke into somebody's home, really. <sighs> Don't want to be exp- I, I don't want to explain that to a judge, and I certainly don't want to be explaining it to St. Peter. All right, developments since we spoke yesterday. The, the city of Milwaukee, in its leadership, is incredibly dysfunctional. I mean, just, you know, wh- whether we're talking about the, the trolley to nowhere that fewer and fewer people are riding, whether we're talking about the crazy aldermen who you know have had vacant property sitting in their district for a decade and you have a, a business a plant that wants to relocate there and bring hundreds of jobs and millions of dollars in economic development and the alderman decides well i don't think i want that because it's a meat pa- it's a state of the art meat packing plant i mean it, it's just one thing after another that just tells you just how completely and totally screwed up this is. And one of the examples of that was this whole thing going on with the Fire and Police Commission. Now, we don't have enough time in today's program to just talk about how messed up the Fire and Police Commission is. There's a report that broke after I was on the air. Actually, I think John McCure, to his credit, had it first. The chairman of the Fire and Police Commission, the chairman, and these are these are individuals. It's a part-time gig. They're appointed, and, and they do other things in life. And the chairman of the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is he's an attorney, and apparently he. Well, what we know is that earlier this week he announced that the Fire and Police Commission was going to not vote on the reappointment or, or hiring of Police Chief Alfonso Morales. All right, so that, that this generated huge controversy. I was criticizing them for doing this. Well, yesterday the story breaks that the this attorney um, ha- has, well, I, I don't know if it's fair to say he's got ethical problems, but it, it's sure behavior that, in my opinion, doesn't, doesn't pass the, the smell test. Apparently a, a guy gets whistled in, and this is the, the developer who's getting millions of dollars to put up that hotel in the old, in that, that new co- hotel conference center on North Avenue where the old Sears store used to be. It's everybody in the city, the, the city, you know, the business people, they look at this. This is going to be a failure. I mean, it's the worst place imaginable to try to put a, a luxury, high-end hotel-slash-conference center. Everybody recognizes that. But the people on the Common Council, they're throwing money at this guy who has kind of a, a checkered history to begin with. Well, anyhow, the, the developer gets whistled in for an interview at the police department because there was an allegation that he had committed a, a crime. 
the chairman of the Fire and Police Commission, who's also an attorney, shows up with this guy. Now, there's questions about whether he represented him or not, but can you imagine this? I mean, you're the police officer, and you know, you're interviewing somebody um, who's been accused, never charged of a crime, but they're coming in and they bring the attorney chairman of the Fire and Police Commission with them. Now, they're, they're kind of dancing it around. The guy, the chairman of the Fire and Police Commission, he says, well, I, I was there, and yes, I'm an attorney, but I really wasn't there representing him. I was just there with him. And, and maybe... From the perspective of the state bar, maybe it, it's a distinction with a difference. I mean, I don't take any position on that one way or the other, but it, it's it's inappropriate and it's very bad form. And it's one of those deals where if you want to be a, in public service, for example, and you're an attorney and you want to be on the Fire and Police Commission, well, that means you, you shouldn't be having any dealings, you know, representing people, you know, who are the subject of police investigations. That, it just kind of comes with the territory. So the Milwaukee Police Association came out with a, a very scathing a press release yesterday. John McCure interviewed, I think, the guy who's the chairman of the head of the, uh, the police union. And they came out, the police union came out with this sort of scathing release questioning making ethical allegations and things of the like and and i will say that it, it clearly it to me it just demonstrates how at least some members of the fire and police commission aren't ready for prime time without saying whether it was unethical or not it's just it's one of those things that you go really that they, they thought that they would do it well in any event after this happens the fire and police commission now has done a complete 180 and they've said all right no we, we've decided now that we are going to vote on the contract for chief morales and of course during our last newscast you heard some report there's a couple people in the community are saying well we we think there's all these outgoing ongoing questions about that all right look here, here's the bottom line of this and i've been around long enough to have seen lots of police chiefs come and go You've had a couple good police chiefs in the city of Milwaukee. You've had several bad police chiefs in the city of Milwaukee. You've had some chiefs that started out good and then kind of wore out their welcome. Ed Flynn would probably be the best example of that. Started out, I think, really strong and then ended up had some personal problems. And then after those personal problems, I, I think, in, you know, he, he started – I think trying to appease certain interest groups and ended up again, you know, just leaving, you know, under a huge cloud. So I appreciate that being an urban police chief is extremely tough. My opinion is that Alfonso Morales, and I don't know him at all, I think he's done a pretty darn good job since he took over. He's had to deal with situations involving Milwaukee police officers who've lost their lives in the line of duty. He's had to deal with fallout from some highly public instances like the interaction between the police and Sterling Brown. He's had to deal with a number of different political forces that are, are trying to play in on law enforcement, whether it's the we think the police are an occupying force and we don't think that you should be cooperating with immigration, those sorts of things, plus trying to balance the interest of the police officers in the union, I, I think Alfonso Morales has thus far done a good job. Now, I understand that police chiefs in large urban areas tend to have a relatively short shelf life. By that, I mean they've got to make tough decisions. And sooner or later, they alienate all sorts of people and they kind of lose their base of support. So I, I don't know what's going to happen two years from now. I don't know what's going to happen three years from now. But I, I will tell you 
that at this point in time, given what he's done since he took over, you know, Alfonso Morales clearly deserves to continue in that job and just clearly deserves a, a new contract. Now, just because I'm saying that now doesn't mean that there's not things that are going to happen that two or three years from now, you might become convinced to say, okay, it's, it's time for him to go. But right now, he, he's, in my opinion, the best person for the job. There's no reason for the Fire and Police Commission to jerk him around. There's no reason for the Fire and Police Commission to simply roll over to some of the, the loudmouthed complainers in the community who probably aren't going to be satisfied by any police chief that, that you bring in unless that police chief essentially promises to dismantle the police department. Alfonso Morales deserves a term. He deserves to get that new term right away. The mayor, who I don't think was a fan of his in the beginning, the mayor is on board. The Fire and Police Commission is an absolute train wreck. The last thing they need to do is create even more controversy by not immediately rehiring somebody who deserves the job. So hopefully tonight they will vote on a new contract for Chief Morales. He will get it, and we can at least put this element in the rearview mirror. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You wouldn't necessarily know this, but I really am in a pretty good mood today. Um, If you follow me on Twitter, at JeffWagner620, I just sent out a tweet a little while ago. It... I, I understand the significance of what I'm about to say, but the Capital Times, which is this kind of uber-liberal, used to be a newspaper, now it's kind of an insert, and it's a, like a web-based thing, um, has today one of the most staggeringly stupid editorials that I have ever seen. And I understand the significance of that. And, and again, I'm one of these people that believe that reasonable people can agree or disagree. But then every once in a while you read stuff which can only be described as staggeringly stupid. And I, I have a link to that up on my, my Twitter account. Uh, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. What, here, here's the deal. We've been talking about this all week. The, the law in Wisconsin says that if people move... And they change their they change their address with the DMV or the post office or something like that. What happens is those agencies will notify the elections commission or the clerk where the person lived before, and they'll say that person is moved. And the idea is it's so you you don't have people that are registered at multiple places. So if the elections commission or the clerk gets this notification saying, hey, Jeff Wagner appears to have moved. He's changed his automobile registration on his cars from where he used to live to a new place. What they will do is they will send out a postcard to your, your former address. And they'll say, hey, look, we've received information that you've moved. If you you got to send this back and tell us if you're still there, otherwise we're removing you from the voter rolls. It's not an unreasonable law at, at all. Now, you could say, hey, if I was drawing the law, maybe I'd draft it in a different fashion or something like that. I, I, I understand that. But it's not an unreasonable sort of thing. Well, the State Elections Commission decides we don't want to follow the law So what we're going to do is we're not going to remove people within 30 days. We're going to let them stay on the voter rolls, despite what the law says, for like another year. (laughs) Okay, it's so what happens then is the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty 
files a lawsuit. They say, hey, judge, you got to order the state of Wisconsin to follow the law. What a unique sort of thing. So the case goes in front of uh, Circuit Judge Paul Malloy in Ozaki County. He looks at it, and he comes down, and he issues a ruling. He says, look, the law is clear. You know, once you get this notification, you have to send out the postcard. If you don't get a postcard back, if you don't get a response back in 30 days, the person's name comes off the voting rolls. They can then go back. They can certainly re-register, um, you know, if they've been improperly removed. Um, or, you know, they can go in. There's all sorts of provisions they have. Plus, they can, if they show up on Election Day and they don't have the right information, they can always file a provisional ballot. Oh, okay, it, but it's the process. It's the law. So the Capital Times has this stunningly stupid editorial today calling Judge Malloy a right-wing activist, a right-wing activist um, who's essentially, okay, Judge Malloy, a judge in heavily Republican Ozaki County, did the bidding of a right-wing group, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, when he effectively ordered the State Election Commission to remove voters from the roll if they don't respond within 30 days, etc., etc., and it goes on. Well, well, yeah, he's not a right-wing activist. He's a guy who's following the law. Now, I, I understand that if you you know you hang out in Dane County, you're used to all these circuit judges who pretty much decide that they're going to do whatever they want to do. We don't care what the law says. This is what we think the law should be, so we're going to ignore it. And we saw ruling after ruling after ruling like that. If you want to change the law, fine. Have that argument and change the law. But to criticize a judge for being a right wing judicial activist because he followed the law is absolutely ridiculous. I've got a link to the different story. But if you want to, you know, if you know anything about this, your, your head just explodes that you would have editorial writers who I understand have, have their opinion. But, you know, it's one thing to have an opinion, and it's another thing for that opinion to be completely ignorant given the facts. So you can check that out as well. Um, Judge Malloy might be many things, but he's not a right-wing judicial activist because he said we got to follow the law. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We are going to talk about impeachment in the one o'clock hour of the program. And then um, again, this is uh, part of this program is going to be a a retrospective. As I was saying earlier, this is my my last show of the year. My vacation kicks in tomorrow. I'm back on January 2nd. But it's not only the last show of the week, not only the last show of the month, it's the last show of the decade. Where did the 2010s go? Where did the teens go, for goodness sakes? We'll be talking about eh, a lot of things that happened over the course of uh, the last 10 years. We'll be doing that a little bit later on in the program. I admit that this is one of these stories that continues to fascinate me. It first broke, what, about a week or so ago when you had this this hotel, Comfort Suites, out on the northwest side of Milwaukee, Park Place. And, And simple sort of thing. They wanted to change the sign in front of their building, but they needed a zoning change from the common council to put up the, this different sign, like a monument sign, right? It, it, it just, it flew through. No, nobody had any problems at all with the sign. It's not like, oh my gosh, this is going to be this garish sign. There was no problems at all. So it looked like this thing was going to be smooth sailing until they go to this committee hearing. And what happens is one of the older women, her name is Shantia Lewis, 
She says, I have a problem. Doesn't have a problem with the sign. She says, I have a problem with this hotel because I tried to check in there with my family, uh, you know, a while back. And what happened was they wouldn't let me check in because I was from the city of Milwaukee. Well, it, it actually, that's not really what happened. The hotel has a policy that says that people who live within a 30-mile radius of the hotel, which would encompass, I guess, people who live in Milwaukee, but it would also encompass people who live in Mequon and people who live in Waukesha and people who live in West Bend, you know, people who live within 30 miles of the hotel, they can't check in. And the reason for this is because the hotel has a policy that's designed, I think, to avoid problems. They have had problems with locals, quote unquote, checking in, using the rooms as, as party rooms, etc., trashing the hotel, um, using the pool, etc., etc. They've also had problems with crime. People, and you know, we, we don't like to confront this, but locals checking in and using rooms in the hotel for prostitution or for drug dealing or things of the like. And rather than try to decide who might be a prostitute or who might be using the room for a party or whatever, they just have a policy saying it, we're for out-of-towners. Right, that that's that's their policy, and nobody argues that they don't apply this across the board. You had some of the media types once they glommed onto this, they'd call up and they'd say, "Okay, I'm from Mequon," and the people would say, "No, you you can't get in." So this isn't directed at residents of the city of Milwaukee who might be people of color. It would also be directed at like a, a white person living in West Bend who lives within 30 miles of the hotel. You can't check in. They, pipe, may, no, they make no bones about it. It's posted on their website. The Comfort Inn that's located by the airport has a similar sort of policy. They say, hey, look, we're a hotel that's geared for business travelers. That's the policy decision that we have made. Now, you can agree with it or you can disagree with it, but it's their policy. It's their business decision. It's kind of like a restaurant, at least in my opinion, that says no shirt, no shoes, no service. All right. You would have think thought that this would have been enough of this, but you get this alderman, that the older woman who gets bent out of shape about it. Then you get another race-baiting Milwaukee alderman. Russell Stamper says, we, we can't support a racist policy. This is a racist policy. You're, you're not letting people from the city of Milwaukee, you know, rent the rooms there. Well, okay, it doesn't matter. You, you're not letting black people from the city of Milwaukee rent rooms. You're not letting white people from the city of Milwaukee rent rooms. And you're also not letting people from Brookfield rent rooms. I mean, it's a colorblind policy. So what happens then, what, yesterday, is it, it goes in front of the Common Council for a full decision on the sign which, of course, really has nothing to do with the policy. The Common Council turns down their request to put up the new sign. And now, after that, apparently the Common Council, that Lord knows must not have enough on its hands. This is, for example, the older woman who started all this. You know, She's giving an interview with a local you know, web-based news source that says, my hope is to really dive deep into this policy and ensure that you can't do business like this in the city. She says, you know, um, I want to make sure Milwaukeeans aren't neg- negatively impacted. And two, I want to make sure that you don't get the benefit of something like the Democratic National Convention if you are literally and explicitly excluding Milwaukee residents. Our number, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. I swear this makes my head want to explode. And 
that the fact that the Milwaukee Common Council is now doubling down in playing the race card and in trying to stop this hotel from implementing a race-neutral business policy is just wrong on so many levels. The Common Council, in my opinion, has no right to tell a business that you know you you have to rent to certain people, um, and if the business makes the business decision that hey for whatever reason it's more trouble than it's worth to rent to locals, as long as this is applied in a race neutral fashion, which apparently it is, nobody suggests otherwise. Milwaukee has no business telling a hotel no. You have to accept people from I don't know within you. You can't have. A, a distance rule. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To try to jerk this hotel around like this, to imply that this policy is racist, is just fundamentally wrong. It demonstrates the anti-business attitudes um, that you have from some of the social engineers on the Milwaukee Com- Common Council, and it demonstrates why Milwaukee businesses will always continue to struggle as long as you have politicians that are trying to inject themselves with their weird and wacky ideas of social engineering. I don't know if this business policy makes sense or not, but as long as it is applied across the board, I think the hotel has the right to do it, and I don't think the city of Milwaukee has the right to tell them that as a condition of doing business, you can't exclude people who live within a 30-mile radius. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Deb in Slinger. Hi, Deb. Hi. What do you think? I was just, well, I have a daughter who is 20, and she has had occasions where she's had to go, on, go out of town for weddings or, or other activities, and she can't check into a hotel room because she's not 21. Right. There are a lot of hotel rooms that won't even let you check in if you're not 21, and I'm sure it's for the same kind of reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, they and look. And I'm not saying that every. I'm not saying that your daughter, if she rented a hotel room, would use it as a party room or not. But but the hotel, they they don't want to have to fool with that. That so that's what their policy is. It's like okay, you got to be at least 21. There's a lot of places, Deb, for rental cars. To your you got to be 25 to rent right. to rent a car. That, okay. Is that an arbitrary right. thing? Yeah. But as long as they apply it evenly across the board, it doesn't. It doesn't discriminate against, I don't know, white car renters versus black car renters. It's just, it's their age policy that they have. That's, and I, I believe it's the same reason. I think the businesses have that right to make that decision. Well, right, as long as they apply it evenly across the board, because my guess is they, they don't want to get into a situation where they have to pick and choose. They, they don't want to say, okay, we, we think that you're going to use this for prostitution. They just don't want to get into that decision. So it's like, okay, we're, 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 we are a hotel for out-of-towners. We're a business traveler's hotel. And obviously that ends up, it means they have to turn away some business. So on the one hand, it might not be a great business policy, but at the end of the day, they figure they come out ahead. And why shouldn't they be able to do that? 
I totally agree. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. 415, did it again, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Tom in Slinger. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, what do you think of this? Well, I've been in the hotel business for the last 15 years, including management positions in the local area, and I completely understand it. Um, We didn't have the exact same policy, but something very similar, where if you uh, were from the local area, and particularly coming in on the weekends, we'd have a separate conduct policy sheet to sign that would say, you know, you're not here for a party. There's only four people in a room. You know, you're not going to abuse the system, no drug dealing, no anything illegal. And if there was, then we would be kicking you out and be forfeiting your rate for the night. It's right. It's something that has been an issue in the last five, ten years, and people are just abusing the room itself and using it as a place for a party. So I, I completely understand their policy of the 30-mile radius, as I know other hotels have very similar policies in place. Well, right, and it and it's... It's it's not to say that there might not be a bunch of people coming in from out of town who who might do the same thing, but but at the same time, obviously, obviously they have a greater concern with with locals who okay hey we want to have a party we won't want to do it at our house we want access to the pool so we're going to have fifteen people over obviously they have had problems with this in the past so they've come up with this policy and again right or wrong it's a business decision that they're making. It definitely is. And, you know, we've made the same decisions at hotels because all it's doing is affecting all the other guests that are trying to come in and have a good time at the hotel and use it responsibly, where uh, we've we've noticed that local guests, when they do come in, they're doing exactly that, where they're coming in to have a bunch of friends and either use the pool and overrun the pool or do things in the hotel Right. That they, they shouldn't be doing it. They know they shouldn't be doing it at home, so they're going to do it somebody somewhere else. Well, well, right. And and you don't. And, and in in the hotel business, I get that you don't want to be in a position in advance of trying to guess. Okay, who's going to be that good local tenant versus who's going to be the bad local renter? You just so that it's it let's just have the policy. We'll exclude this. It's across the board, and then we don't have to worry about this, and we don't have to get accused of. Gee, you know, you you were implying that this woman was going to be using this for prostitution. Here, we're going to sue you. It's just a policy. Boom. Nobody can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As long as it's a blanket policy, and we've definitely had pushback um, from guests, but hey, it's, hey, this is posted. This is the way that we're going to do it. If you have a problem with it, it's probably because you're not going to be following the rules. Right. And, uh, um, and, and yeah, go. And, and there will be from time to time to time, probably maybe even the majority of the situation, it will be local people who are legitimately trying to rent the rooms, but but it but though that business isn't sufficient to overcome the problems they have with the problem renters so it it's a it's a business policy the common council has no business telling them that they can't do it no not at all not in my opinion hey, hey tom are you uh, you a golfer you know somebody who is I am definitely a golfer. Yeah. All right, I'm going to put you on hold because I'm going to give you a $25 gift certificate to one of my favorite places. It's Sticks Golf Bar in Germantown, six state-of-the-art simulators, full bar. You will enjoy yourself, okay? Oh, great. Thank you. Okay, we're going to put you on hold, and uh, Gru is going to get all your information as well, and, and Merry Christmas. Let's talk to another Tom. Tom in Burlington. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, How Tom. are you? I am well, thank you, sir. Okay, what do you think? Well, I'm in total support of what you said. I think this is just a, another case where you have to shake your head and say, really? What is what is the city doing? How can they 
how how can they think they can set policies of how a, a restaurant or a hotel in this case is supposed to have policies? And you know, I agree that as long as it's racially neutral yep. and it's one rule for everybody, go for it, do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Well, I- exactly, and that's why when they first announced this policy, you know, one of the things that happened where you had the reporters, and I get it, they were calling up, trying to make reservations, saying, "Hey, we're from Mequon or, or whatever," because they were trying to see if this hotel was, you know, w- was not applying it across the board. And what they were told is, "No," and we, you know, we don't care where you live as long as it's within thirty miles. You know, you find another hotel. You know, go with God, but find another yeah. hotel. No, I'm with you. No, I, again, thanks to call it just this this just makes my head explode and then of course you have you know some of these aldermen who you know for whatever reasons okay well we're you know we're we're going to call this a racist policy well where does the racism come from for goodness sakes and i'm sorry the alder woman couldn't rent this particular room when she was trying to and nobody's applying that she would have misused it but you know what it's that this to me is one of these complete abuse of power that you have by some of these elected officials that don't you know who i am well all right the hotel has its policy if you don't like it go rent a room somewhere else here's a text jeff i worked for a short time in the human trafficking task force for the milwaukee police department and i have to tell you this policy makes sense i would estimate that 90 percent of our arrests were pimps using local hotels for their trafficking you know that's what i was alluding to with the prostitution you know that's that look if you're if you're you know, in, engaged in, in prostitution, you know, you need to find hotel rooms that you're going to do the business out of. I mean, that's just kind of the general rule that's out there. And so, obviously, you have this hotel who doesn't want this to be the case. Now, I guess, is it possible that you could have, you know, pimps from Madison that are going to rent rooms and try to do business in Milwaukee? Yeah, but that's not the more common sort of position. And again, I'm not suggesting that everybody from um, Milwaukee, who wanted to you know rent a room overnight at this place, was going to be engaged in you know nefarious activity. But at the same time, apparently enough of them were that the comfort suites decided, okay, we're, we're just not going to deal with this. And it's not racist. And shame, shame, shame on the Milwaukee Common Council for jerking this business around because some older woman gets her nose out of joint because she's not allowed to rent a room there when it has nothing to do with her race. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Eric, you want to know how I'm going to spend at least a portion of my first uh, day of vacation tomorrow? You going to watch Irishman again? No, I'm not going to watch that. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want those seven hours of my life back. No, and actually, actually I'm going to talk about the new Star Wars movie a little bit later on. And, you know, critics are panning it. Yeah. But it, it is, you know, I, but it's still going to be a huge success. But again, it's, you know, everybody has different tastes. I, I mean, critics love the, the Irishman, the movie on Netflix. And I watched it once, didn't like it, thought I must be missing something. So I actually went back and watched the whole three know, and a half hours again. Now I want that seven hours. I, <laughs> I, I liked it less the second time. But I, just, I that, that that's fine. People have different tastes. No. So yesterday morning, I'm driving into work. And everything's going fine. I'm on the freeway heading mm-hmm. south on I-43. All of a sudden... This loud thump 
on on my on my windshield. Some truck in front of me had thrown up a rock or a okay. stone or something. Crack it. Hits the windshield. Well, I I didn't notice it at the time. So I get home and then last night, yeah, I've got this. I've got two. Mm. I've got two really thin cracks, about like four inches a piece, right next to each other. So I think. I think I think they can fix it without having to replace the windshield. And Isn't it amazing if they can do that? Well, if, like, if they cool? can, you know, and and it's it's not this. It's right above the passenger side windshield, so it's not like it's in my view, and it doesn't appear to be spreading. Knock on wood. Now, who knows what <laughs> could happen? But I, I mean, because right. I'm looking this stuff on the internet, and I think. I think since it's it's only that long, I think they can fix it. So I've made this appointment for like tomorrow morning. But it's kind of like, you know, it's the holidays. I have all these different things I want to do, and you know, it's like eh, the first grum- thing out of the grumble, gate. Grum- first thing out of the gate is let's let's try to f- see if they can fix this crack because I mean the difference. The difference is if they can fix the crack, it's a couple hundred bucks, maybe two hundred bucks, and if you have to replace the windshield, it's you're. A lot more. It's a lot more, yeah, and you're good. talking about insurance claims and all that. So that's where I'm going to be tomorrow morning. Really? Um, so, uh, but, but you got to do it. I'll you, bring your radio. You can listen to us. I, I well, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly be listening to you as I'm driving out to the place. You know, they'd come. I'd say, I'll, I'll just, I'll just go to the place. I figure if you go, go to their shop, maybe there's more options or something than coming to mine. So I'm, I'm going right. to go take it there. You know, if the car's drivable, no problem. But it was like, oh my gosh, you know, come on, it's Christmas. The rock just hit me. <laughs> okay. I understand. Now, believe me, there are there are two schools of thought, and I've been doing this radio show long enough to understand that, that people feel two ways about this. And it, it's if you're a talk show host, it's, it's a balancing act because there are some people who listen to this show who cannot get enough of the I word, the, the impeachment. It, they just, they're obsessed about this. And they're, they're watching this and they've been watching the whole process as it is played out. And I will get, I literally, I will get texts and emails saying, I can't believe you spent the first hour of your show and you didn't talk about impeachment at all. You talked about issues in Milwaukee, which is true. I, I did. And then I will have the other side, and you know who you are. Oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to discuss impeachment again. Talk about anything else. I can't stand this. I'm going to turn the channel. So I understand there is this balancing that, that's out there. P- people who can't get enough of it and people who are just sick of it. And one of the things that I have tried to do over the last several months is I've tried to balance out those competing interests, understanding that we, we all start to repeat ourselves because – we're dug in on the whole question of impeachment. You see that in the polls. You know, this country is polarized. It is split. And things have not materially moved. If, if there's been any movement in the polls since the, all these impeachment hearings and stuff, it has been slightly more people probably turning against the impeachment and the removal process and a slight bump for President Trump, but just a slight bump. But let's understand. I mean, people are, are polarized. Last night across the country, you had liberal activist groups, MoveOn.org being one of them, that tried to organize rallies pushing for impeachment, and they did them in about 50 to 100 cities. And in general, um, yes, they had the rallies, the people who showed up who were passionate, but there weren't that many of them. In Milwaukee, they estimated maybe a couple hundred people. Uh, same thing true in San Francisco, Los Angeles. This this wasn't the you know million person or half a million person moms march or anything. Th- these rallies that they had attracted some people who, admittedly, like I say, were passionate. But it wasn't 
This this wasn't like Watergate. This wasn't the Vietnam era protest. This wasn't, you know, millions of people taking to the streets. It was a number of hardcore activists who can't stand President Trump and, and want him out. And, and they took to the streets and they demonstrated in general in a peaceful sort of fashion. And then they went went home. They didn't change, I don't think, anybody's hearts or minds. It's not like there's this groundswell that all of a sudden you've got 70 to 80 percent of the American public who's one way or the other. And and what's going to happen is pretty much preordained. Later today, the House will vote and President Trump will become only the third president in U.S. history um, who Bill Clinton, Andrew Johnson and Donald Trump to be impeached. That is not that's not a legacy to be proud of. It, it's not. Then, sometime after the first of the year, the matter will move to the U.S. Senate. There will be, in all likelihood, a summary sort of trial. And at the end of that trial, which will last a couple days, maybe, you know, President Trump will be acquitted. The charges will be dismissed, et cetera, et cetera. We, we know this is going to happen. And I've been arguing all along that, that this has been just a, an exercise in futility driven more by politics than anything else. And I believe it's going to come back and haunt future Congresses because I think we've now set this standard where if you have a president who makes decisions that are based in part on personal political gain, and candidly, that's that's a lot of decisions that presidents make that now they're going to be subject to impeachment. And I think we, we've opened Pandora's box, and I think both parties are going to regret having taken this step. That That's just, you know, my, my personal assessment of this. I believe the better way to have dealt with this, and I've argued this for the last couple months, would have been to come out with a censure, with a resolution of censor, saying, we don't that this was not a perfect call that the way this was handled was inappropriate because i think if you had done that maybe i'm wrong but i think that you would have gotten republican votes along with this but you're going to have a lot of republicans who are with like a lot of people in this country that while they might not think this was a perfect call they don't believe that this is an impeachable offense but in any event they didn't go the censure resolution you have no sort of bipartisanship on this at all and at the end of the day a couple weeks from now this will become a footnote in history third president to be impeached and i i a president who's going to be acquitted or the charges dismissed, just like Bill Clinton, um, that's what's going to happen. And then by February 1st, we're going to be back to normal. That That's where we are going without having necessarily accomplished anything. So with that backdrop, I have a simple question that I would like to discuss with you, and that is, has it all been worth it? 855 has it been worth it? Knowing what we now know, knowing that you know people are more polarized than ever, knowing that the result of the impeachment process is not going to result in President Trump's removal from office. And I guess if you can argue that you think that a whole bunch of Republican senators are changed their mind, I'll tell you, people are more dug in now than ever. So knowing what we know now, knowing that the decision was made not to go with a resolution of censure that, like I say, might have gotten some bipartisan support. Was this all worth it? My answer is no. 
in part because I think we've set a really bad precedent moving forward. I think you're going to see more and more presidents who are of a different party than those who control the House. I I think impeachment is now going to become like sort of a standard sort of fallback thing to try to politically embarrass or to remove presidents of different parties that's going to end up going nowhere. And at some point in time, you might even get into a situation where you, you have, like, for example, a Democrat president and a Republican Senate and a Republican House of Representatives where maybe there is enough votes to to remove a president. I just I, I think we're going to regret today, regardless of how you feel about President Trump. But was it all worth it? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Are you ready for one of Wisconsin's best golf experiences? Sticks Golf Bar in Germantown is your perfect golf getaway, especially when it's too cold to hit the course. From now until December 23rd, tune into my program from noon to 3 for your chance to win a $25 gift card to Sticks. Two more to give away. They're a virtual reality golf bar. It's the Jeff Wagner 12 Days of Sticksmas. Keep listening for your chance to win. We did give away the certificate today, but Scott Warris, who's filling in for me, he'll have a uh, $25 gift certificates to give away tomorrow and Friday. All right. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. James in Milwaukee. James, hello. How are you doing there, Jeff? Good. Was it worth it? No, it isn't. And I, you know what? We haven't got anything done in 11 years, the eight years of uh, uh, Rock Obama, and we haven't got anything done right now. What we need is a third party. We need a independent party. Most countries have three parties or more parties, and I think that would would kind of uh, balance this whole thing on out better. And I think that also we need to change the term limits on um, on the senators and, and the Congress people, uh, so that we're not having these people in here for lifetime jobs. Even the judges, mayors, and governors, the same thing. I think it's time for a big change right across the Dargood board. Well, I mean, I, as far as as, as far as knocking the two party system. Um, I, I don't know. You you know. You look at what's going on in Israel right now. Israel is an absolute political mess because they have all these splinter parties, and and nobody nobody can get a majority to govern. Great Britain has been a mess for a couple years. You know, finally after that election last Thursday, you you had a consolidation of power with the conservatives. But I I, I don't know. I, I think I, I think you look at these. It, it splintered democracies all over. Here's a text, Jeff. I hate, hate, hate Donald Trump. But having said that, I think this was worthless, in part because it's an exercise. Again, it's an exercise in futility. I continue to go back. If, if you wanted to, if you at least wanted to get a, a bipartisan statement, okay, you, given, especially given the fact that he's not going to be removed, all right, a resolution of censure. Well, that does absolutely nothing. Well, okay, what does the impeachment do that doesn't go anywhere other than maybe it's a little bit higher political drama? You have, If you had gone with a resolution of censure, my guess is you would have had 20, 30, 40, 50 Republicans who might have peeled off to vote for that. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hiya, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Yeah, I do believe that this was worth it, but I do not believe the impeachment part is worth it. I, I, we have to have a checks and balance for the president of the United States. We can't let presidents just 
be above the law. And I think that this man went above the law. But I, I would have went with what you just said with censorship. And censorship does do something down the line. It ends up where it actually regulates what that president can do. He can't. He would have his checks and balances put in place by Congress mm-hmm. if it was a censorship. Yeah, and, and, it, and it, it makes a statement that you say this, this was not a perfect phone call, but that this doesn't rise to the level of something that, you know, requires somebody to be removed from office, which is what I, which is what I, I actually, at the end of the day, I think it is. I think it would have been the right thing to do, and it would have been a politically uh, palatable thing to do, because right now, it, n- nothing's going to happen. This is all just the giant spinning of the wheels. Tomorrow, there'll be headlines in every newspaper in the country, you know, Trump, third president impeached in U.S. history, and then three weeks from now, the headlines will be Trump acquitted by the Senate, and we're right back where we started. We will not have accomplished anything. Here's one thing, though. Now, Joe Biden, and, and I like Joe Biden as a presidential candidate, but I'll tell you what, as soon as if he would get elected and there would be a overturn in the Congress, yep. a Republican, he is going to be looked into in that Ukraine thing like the yeah. first day in the office. Well, exactly. No, thanks, thanks for calling. I mean, see, this is the Pandora's box that, that we are we are opening up by, I think, lowering the bar. And here's here's the reality. If you're a regular listener's program, you know that there, there's – I was – I was not, and I'm not a guy that 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 has drank the Kool Aid when it comes to President Trump. I, I'm I'm not. I have all sorts of issues with the way he runs the government and behaves as the president. At the same time, I, I think you know we, we've accomplished a lot over the course of the last several years. But I, I'm not a guy that's drank the Kool Aid. I don't think it was a perfect phone call. But but again. In a situation like this, if we're now going to say, okay, this is the standard, what have we done? When Barack Obama says to, you know, the Russian president, hey, let's hold off on this missile stuff until after the the next election. All right. Is that influencing foreign policy corruptly? Because, hey, I'm I'm going to promise you, wink, wink, nod, nod, that we're going to get this done. But, you know, don't make me do something before the election. You know, where where does... Where does the politics of being a world leader, where does that come in? Where do you end up crossing the line? I think the conversation, I think the way President Trump handled it was inappropriate. But to your point, Tom, you're you're exactly right. Joe Biden wins the election. And then, you know, if the Republicans would somehow retake control of the House of Representatives, which I don't think is going to happen this time around, but let's assume for the sake of argument to your point that it did, then we're off to the races. Okay, we're going to start the hearings. We're going to bring in Hunter Biden. We're going to re-examine this entire process as to, you know, whether or not there was, you know, unlawful behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And if it's not the Hunter Biden thing, it's going to be something else. And do we really want to be spending all our time in this country trying to figure out how to remove one president that the other party doesn't like? And that's where I'm afraid that we are going. I wish they would have just done the resolution of censure because, you know, I think there's a lot of Republicans who would have gotten behind it. Might be wrong, but nobody's going to get beat. No Republican is going to get behind this. And the truth of the matter is the general public, I mean, it's split. The people that don't like Trump, they want him gone. The people that love him don't want him gone. There's no mandate that's out there one way or the other on this, which is at the end of the day what we have elections for. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So 
so very glad to have you with us. One of the things that, that has changed o- over the years, and for the next kind of hour and a half of the program, we're going to be doing a little bit of a retrospective. As 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 amazing as it seems, I mean, the the the, the teens, you know, are, are coming to a, a, a close. You know, we've got. You know, when I'm next back talking to you, it's going to be January 2nd of, of 2020, at least in the live broadcast. We've got a special Christmas Day program that's going to be coming up, but I don't come in on Christmas Day. We actually tape that in in advance. But there's a lot of things that, that have, of course, changed over the years. And one has to do with the way the way we dress. If there, If you are of a certain age, for example, you can remember when, when people – actually dressed to fly on airplanes i mean you you would you know you would and i'm not just talking about business people who had to rush to a meeting as soon as they got off the plane i mean you would you would dress you know maybe not in the full pearls and things like that but but you would you would dress to fly on the airplanes well well now i I mean nobody or very very few people you know do that you know you look at you know people getting on the airplanes and in many cases it looks like they just rolled out of bed and and that's fine it's the way things go most restaurants i mean there was a time when if you were going out to you know a a restaurant other than like a diner or something like that for an evening you would you would dress you would put on a jacket men might wear a tie you know maybe you'd wear a suit you know ladies would wear dresses or skirts or, or whatever it, it was just you were going out and you were going out to dine and and that was that was this now nowadays you look at it in most places it's pretty much anything goes you know they might make you take off your baseball cap but it, it's it's a more casual thing and by the way i'm not preaching about this because i'm i'm guilty of that too i I live in blue jeans to the extent I, I can. Now, there's all sorts of places we go that I can't do that. And I, I don't wear blue jeans to church because I keep hearing my late mom's voice in the back of my head and I, going, Jeff, you know, it's church. You don't dress like like that. But but I'm a little bit older. I understand that there's other people who, you know, just have a different view of this. Now, what got me thinking about this is there's a story today in the Washington Post, and it's talking about a very specific area of of dressing. That is people who go on on ocean cruises, or, or I guess you could say river cruises as well. It always used to be that when you go on a cruise, there would always be at least one or two, quote unquote, formal nights where ladies would bring, you know, the the the, the big the big gowns and stuff and guys would bring the tuxedos and everybody would show up dressed like that and and those formal nights have now largely it just completely disappeared okay when we take our river cruise every year on uniworld which is one of kind of a high-end river cruise things they make a point of saying it, it's casual there's one or two nights like the welcome welcome reception and i think the last night one where they they kind of informally say you know business casual yeah, so I mean, guys, they're not. I mean, they're not going to toss you out if you don't show up, you know, wearing a sport coat. But but it's kind of encouraged to maybe look a little bit better. But but there's not these rules anymore, even on some of the high end cruise lines, whether it's river cruise or ocean cruises. And the story in the Washington Post talks about how this has really split the cruise travelers. Uh, because some people just really miss those days. Gee, you know, we, we don't want to go and, and look like a bunch of people are, are just, you know, coming off, you know, coming home from, you know, working with their hands outside every day. We, we want to have a 
more classy sort of experience, and we want people to dress. And other people are saying, you know, we want to be comfortable. You know, we're on vacation. The last thing we want to do is have to, you know, climb into, you know, a tuxedo or whatever. And Right now, the people who want to dress casually are winning the battle because there's a lot more of them out there. And, for example, in the cruise industry, you know, they, they, they want as much business as they possibly can. And if you say, okay, well, you know, if you're going to come to dinner and you're on a cruise for a week, three or four nights, you're going to be have to dress in a tuxedo or whatever, they're going to turn off a large segment of the audience. But it does raise this question about – whether or not we are becoming too informal when we go out, or whether this is just like, hey, this is just where we are right now. Who cares? Why should you necessarily have to dress up? Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm not one of these guys who says, okay, I'm I'm looking forward to, to climbing into a tuxedo. Matter of fact, I used to own a tuxedo, didn't fit. Um, it might fit now that I've lost some weight, but I got rid of it. So I don't even have a tuxedo anymore. So even when we go to events that are black tie optional, I, I, I wear a nice suit. And I, I feel just perfectly fine. I respect the fact that some people like to get a little bit more dressed up, but but that's not me. I figure, hey, if I'm going to this event and I'm in a suit and something like that, I, I'm I'm fine. On the other hand... There are times, well, maybe not the tuxedo, but there are times where I, I do like to be a little bit more dressed up. I, I like the idea that, okay, if we're going to, I'm going to an event on Friday night where people will be wearing suits, you know, and it's, it's, it's not a formal thing in the fact that you got to wear tuxes or gowns or things like that, but you, you got to wear, you, you'll, everybody will be wearing suits. The ladies will be dressed, you know, in a, Nobody's going to be wearing blue jeans or anything like that. And it's kind of fun to do that every once in a while. Our number, 855-616-1620. Are we becoming too casual in the way we we dress? And I see this a lot in church because, again, like I was saying earlier, I've, I've got my mom in the back of my head who's always, you know, I mean, okay, I mean, I, I always grew up saying, okay, if you're going to church, you wear a shirt and tie. And I don't wear a tie all the time nowadays, but, I mean, I do, you know, sometimes it'll be a suit, sometimes it'll be a sport jacket with some nice, you know, pants or whatever. Are we getting too casual? And would it be better if maybe we did dress up a little more to go to events like they did in the older days. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, for one, and again, I'm not an elitist about this, but th- there's a time and a place for everything. And I, I have to admit, there are occasions where, I don't know, business casual or a step above, I kind of like it. What about you? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The number, once again, 855-616-1620. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That is the new Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here's a text. Jeff, dressing down is just a new reality. I was in New York City last weekend and uh, dined at a high-end steakhouse. And that's saying something, because a high-end steakhouse in New York City, that's high-end. I wasn't in a suit or a tie, but I did dress up a bit. But there were many, many people in jeans and T-shirts. Huh, T-shirts. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tom in Butler. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Have you noticed this trend, and is it a good trend? I have absolutely noticed it, uh, and i, I got to tell you, I've got a closet full of blue jeans, but I think there are times and places that blue jeans just aren't appropriate, like going to church yep. or going to weddings or my big thing is going to funerals. I, I think there's a, a level of respect at certain times that people just don't have anymore, and if I have a funeral to go to, I'm wearing a shirt and tie at least to uh, give my last respects, and I don't think that's asking too much. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I, there's a, on Saturday, I, I'm, I'm going to a, a visitation. You know, somebody, um, somebody, I, a visitation um, of of friends of mine who had a relative who passed away, and and it's the same thing. I was kind of thinking about that, and I was like, okay, well, it's Saturday. I mean, I'm used to it. on Saturday. I just love to like live in blue jeans and sweatshirts and stuff. But but you're right. It it would not occur to me not to put on a a suit or a nice pair of slacks and a sport coat or something to to go to to a funeral. Again, it's a gesture of it's a gesture of respect. Right. No, I'm with you. No, I, again, absolutely. No, thanks for calling. And again, and again, it's not. I'm not being elitist about this. I, I I'm not because. I, 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 again, you're talking to somebody who, I'm, as I'm sitting here now, I'm, I'm in blue jeans and a kind of a nice pullover sort of top. But it, it's, I, I, I believe that, you know, you, you should, there's no reason why you have to, you know, always be in suits and things like that. But at the same time, I think there's kind of a time and a place for everything. And I think every once in a while, it is nice to dress up. Now, do I think that if you're going to go on a cruise ship that you have to take a tuxedo to wear three nights a, a, a week? No, I don't think so. Jim and Appleton. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, I kind of, I really want to say I agree with both you and your last caller about the funeral. That's one thing I was going to bring up. But what I wanted to say is when we go on a cruise, um, it's the luggage cost. I mean, we, you know, they they kill you every which way from Sunday and every flight you take. So yeah. Yeah. the less you can bring with you, the better. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm always I'm this huge advocate of trying to pack light and I'm looking for these things like, OK, if I if I take a sport coat, can I find three or four different pairs of slacks or something that I can wear with that sport coat so I can have different ensembles or whatever it is? So, yeah, you're right. It, it's always it's like pack light so you don't have to haul the stuff. Do you miss those days, though, when people used to dress a little bit better? Um, it was it was kind of magical, but it was more when we first went. Uh, and then after that, it started to become not really old, but it became old hat. You know, right. like, oh, here we go again. You know, yeah. It, 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 the novelty wore off. Yeah, exactly. And again, I, I think it's. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Here's a text, Jeff. In the '70s in Vegas, everyone dressed. Now it looks like a hobo convention. Um, well, you know, it's it's interesting. Now I I didn't start. I wasn't going to Vegas in the '70s, but. It, I, I do remember, you know, you, you see the old stuff about the Rat Pack days, and, you know, people would, you, you, there's women that were just, you know, really, you know, dressed to the nines when they, they went out. You see all the, the things of, of the different shows, and now you go to Vegas, and it's not that way. I mean, you can go into the finest the finest eating establishment, and you will see people wearing tennis shoes and blue jeans and things of, of the like. It's just, it's just how things have changed, and it's not better or worse necessarily. It just, it just kind of is. Stephen in Jackson. Stephen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, uh, are we getting more casual? Too casual. Okay. 
Wife and I went. Wife and I went down to a big band concert with Glenn Miller down at the Pabst. I wore a very nice suit. My wife wore a dress with these black gloves that came up to her elbows. <laughs> these older women that were there in their seventies and eighties were all over her, just talking <laughs> to her, just because they loved the fact that she dressed that way. Yeah, they loved the they loved and, the look. It was like a throwback to a different era. Well, and we saw a bunch of people, like you say, with blue jeans and T-shirts, and I just—I don't think it's appropriate. I just don't. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, again, I'm not—I'm I'm not using the word "not appropriate" because it's just—it's just—it is what it is. Now, I, I do think, again, there there are certain things we were talking about funerals. You know, we were talking about going to church, and I—I I understand nowadays. You know, people are just the the people, the the pastors, the ministers, the rabbis, or whatever, are probably thrilled to have people showing up in 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 church or at the synagogue or the place of worship or whatever and and so you got to be really careful about you know saying okay well you're you're not welcome if you're you know not wearing a certain type of apparel but i i do think that there are, i do think that there are places you go and there's a time and a place to again you don't have to put on the the tuxedo it's not something like that but i i enjoy getting dressed up from from time to time like i say we're doing something on on friday and it's it's something that i wouldn't dream of going to without wearing a suit and i'm probably even going to break down and put on a tie still remember how to do that as well this is jeff wagner wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Okay, Melissa, two weeks from today, we ring in a new decade. Two weeks from today will be January 1st, 2020. We say goodbye to the teens. Isn't that crazy to think about that? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of yes. scary. Wow. Time flies. Now, I, I, at the risk of dating myself, do you, do you remember like when we when we switched centuries? Do yes. you remember like like the whole Y two K thing? The Y two K thing. I remember that, and I remember waking up the next day thinking, okay, well, everything's good. Okay, Gru, do you remember <laughs> the whole Y two K thing or not really? So I was in fourth grade. All I remember was people being afraid that the computers were going to explode. Right. This is now I I was working here at the time. And so this was one of our ongoing things. The the argument, long, long, weird story short, there were people who were convinced that the computers, the software on computers all across the world would not be able to take the change to 2000 as opposed to like 1999 and i could explain why but it never made any sense to me at the time and it didn't happen but but this was this belief and there was this huge cottage industry that developed for survivalists i I kid you not oh i believe it we we used to run radio ads for this i mean essentially not necessarily bomb shelters but but your atms aren't going to work the computer systems are going to crash this is going to be you know you need to stock up on on on, on water and powdered food and all this type of stuff. It, it was it was just huge, and it never made any sense to me. But here at WTMJ, we had all these contingency plans. You know, to how are we going to stay on the air if planes are falling out of the air and the computers are crashing and stuff? And I, I remember I was doing the New Year's Eve show, and, of course, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, it starts, the New Year starts like in Sydney, Australia and stuff, and mm-hmm. the lights didn't go off there. And, you know, as, as you moved across the world, it became more and more apparent that this was kind of a 
the, the fears were overblown or non-existent, which is something. But I was getting into You think you get into arguments about impeachment? I would have these people call <laughs> up. Oh, and, real, oh, and they were yeah. just livid. How can you not recognize that this is going to be terrible yeah. and we, we can't deal with all this? And a, a lot of those people, like I say, were, were trying to you know sell sell the, the powdered food and, and things like that. But it was, you know, it was Y2K. Oh, I remember that. I worked in a newsroom in Iowa at the time. Um, and I remember everybody, that's all everyone was talking about. And that's right. all the stories we were doing right. up to New Year's. It was all Y2K. And right. clearly right. we're still here and computers are still running. Well, well, well exactly. But, <laughs> but, I mean, still, yeah. but it was a dramatic sure. end to a decade. I don't think we're going to have as much drama to the end of uh, end of this decade. But I do, I, I do want to you know, use, for example, my, my last show of the decade and the last hour of my last show for the decade. I'm going to be back in two weeks uh, to kind of I, I want to talk about you know, history and time and, and the movement of time. And hey, this, this is a song, one of my very favorite songs from the late, great Steve Goodman. This song was actually written in 1977 or so. Just a couple verses to kind of get us in the mood for the discussion. Everybody sang old Lang Syne. A hundred years took a long, long time for every boy and girl. And now there's only one thing that I'd like to know. Where did the 20th century go? I swear it was here just a minute ago. All over this world And now the 20th century is almost over Almost over, almost over The 20th century is almost over All over this world I read all about it in true confession I'm sorry I was late for the recording session But somebody put me on hold Has anybody seen my linoleum floors? Petroleum jelly and two world wars They got stuck in the revolving doors All over this world The 20th century is almost over. The 20th century is over. The teens, the 2010s, the teens are almost over as well. And they've kind of gone by. I mean, we we talk about the last year going by in the blink of an eye. The last 10 years gone by in the blink of the eye. Journal Sentinel. And this is worth buying the newspaper or subscribing online. They've got uh, 15 Things, actually 17 things that they say defined Milwaukee in the teens, in the 2010s. And, and some of them are kind of interesting. Milwaukee pro sports returned to prominence. The rise of the Bucks and the rise of the Brewers. That's a good one. The Cheesehead Revolution. I mean, just remember that you had you know Scott Walker and you had Reince Priebus and you had Paul Ryan and this this whole revitalization of the conservative movement that's kind of started in Wisconsin and that was 2010 2011, uh, Pfizer Forum. 
new over the course of the last decade. Uh, the Journal Sentinel mentions the hop. Jury's still out on that, but yeah, the return of the streetcar. Foxconn, another great one that's out there. On the negative side, you had two shootings. You had the Ozana Spa shooting and the Sikh Temple shootings, you know, both in 2012. Um, the brewery boom, not the big breweries, not the Schlitz and the Paps and the Millers, but the, the huge growth in the craft beer industry that we've seen. The uh, let's see, they say the transformation of Milwaukee malls. The fact that you've had the things that you know you, you never thought would would change that have no more Boston store. Yeah, that's a factor here. Um, M Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra growing. Northwestern Mutual changing the skyline. The reconstruction of the Zoo Interchange and, and several more. All these things which have occurred over the course of of the last decade and. Many of them, you, you kind of just sort of take them for granted. It's, oh, that, that's right, that, that, that happened. It's been kind of a transformative last 10 years around here, and it's been a transformative time in this country. What I wanted to do, given the fact that we're going to end, end the decade, I've actually been a little bit more retrospective uh, lately, kind of thinking back to the passing of time and all, and I thought it would be interesting to talk to you about the passage of time. And here is my question, and it is a personal one. So forgive me for that. What's your best decade? When you think back on the course of your life, what what decade was 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 the best? And you know, you can define again the best how, however you want it to be. Maybe it was the, maybe it was the teens. Maybe it was the last decade because, hey, this is, you, you, you got settled in your career or whatever. But what, what decade in your lifetime was the best? And maybe it's because of pop culture. Maybe it's because, you know, you can define best however you want. But what's been your best decade? Be honest and go with your first instinct. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In honor of the end of the teens, what's your best decade? Crew is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Madison. Hi, Mike. Yeah, good. Great topic conversation um Best it was decade. really quick for me to answer at first i thought i was going to get nostalgic and then it it was so quick I, you know this is the decade because my kids were both born in the last 10 years and i really feel like it was the best thing that ever happened to me was when my kids were born so i mean to me it's, it's not a matter really of you know trying to remember certain things that you're nostalgic about i just am grateful to be a dad and that all happened in this decade outstanding so. how, how old are your kids now Ten and seven. So. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, that, thanks. Yeah. That, that's. I mean, that's it. That's the, the the things that you 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 kind of go back and and recall. And if you know, if, if this decade is the best, and you always want to be forward looking. You want to look. I I hope I hope the next ten years is going to be better than this ten years. You know, and I hope that the last. But you know, it's it, that's it. You want to be forward looking. You always want to be positive. You always want to be thinking for the future. But sometimes you get a point where you kind of like look back as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Doug in Milwaukee. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Good Doug. to talk to you. See, my best um, decade was in the 70s. I met my lovely wife-to-be, Cynthia. 
And I actually we met on January 3rd, the day after my birthday, which was January 2nd. And we married in September of 74. Outstanding. And we've, and, and we've been married for 45 years as of this past September. So it's been great. Outstanding. So that was it. It was like starting off, it was meeting, getting married, and kind of like starting your life together. Right. And then we have uh, four kids also, two boys and two girls. Ah, you're a romantic at heart, huh, Doug? Yeah, we sure are. My wife and I are a bunch of old softies. Well, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. Thanks for the call. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Time flies. And, you know, certainly momentous times. That's why, you know, you, you think about, you know, all the different stuff that happened. That's why we're talking about, like, the Y2K stuff. And then I I got to thinking about this because I was doing an, an interview a while back, and they were, you know, asking for, you know, uh, events. What are some of the events that, you know, you, you talked about on the radio that really stick in your mind? And, you know, that, I mean, a lot of stuff. You know, in the end of the 90s, you had the, the, you had the, the whole Bush-Gore election, for example. In the 90s, you had the Clinton impeachment seems like it was just yesterday but it was quite a while ago then of course you had september 11th 2001 you know locally um in the aughts you had the the whole milwaukee county pension scandal which still continues to haunt us you have the uh you know you had then the the involvement after september 11th in the, the the whole you know um you know war in iraq all that type of stuff and it just it kind of all it merges together after time. Let's talk to Hugh in West Dallas. Hugh, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Say, the 50s were my great time. I, I graduated from high school, and I was accepted at Layton School of Art, where I graduated four years later. The Milwaukee Braves were in two World Series, one in which they won. And I was raised across the street from the uh, West Dallas, from the uh, Wisconsin State Fair track, where there was tremendous, great racing, Indy and, and, and uh, stock car racing. You realize, Hugh, that you're dating yourself. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to be 80 pretty soon. <laughs> okay. Well, congrats. That's great. Congratulations on that. And, and yeah, it, it's just you know there there are all these kind of like different eras that are there. Let's talk to Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how are you doing, Jeff? Very well, thank you. Hi, okay, I'm, what decade comes to mind for you? I'm going to age myself a little bit too, but it was the '60s. I. Uh, I went through a lot, a lot of things in the '60s. Unfortunately, like uh, uh, the Kennedy assassination, but then I, I got to meet my high school sweetheart, which broke my heart. And then uh, <laughs> you still remember then, that, huh? <laughs> and then, oh, oh my God, she's still in my heart. But anyway, uh, and then it went from the Beatles to CCR, right? And then I, I. I got to go to Vietnam and have fun there, and uh, uh, well, it wasn't really fun. But, no, no, it was uh, a, it was uh, a momentous time. It was this, the sixties were an incredible, an incredible, oh, incredible time. And, and incredible! It, it went from from just uh, from good to bad to good to bad, and it, it'll it'll never leave me. No, I, I think you know it, it's so interesting that there, there's so many people, and I, I was. 
I was a little bit too young for the 60s. I'm more of a child of the 70s. But you you talk to people, and for all the things that you're talking about, you had to, you come out of the Eisenhower, the Happy Days sort of era, and then you go into the the the, the Cold War, and you go into the the space race and the Kennedy assassination, and then the assassination of Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, and then you know the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and all the election turmoil, and of course it's overlaid under the whole thing of of the Vietnam War. I mean, just just a an, a momentous time. I wonder seriously. Well, I, I if you look back over the last hundred years, you, you can make an argument that the '60s are perhaps the most transformative decade. But you know that that's again, people can argue about it. Let's talk to let's see Renata in New Berlin. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. My time was the late 60s to the 70s. I belonged to a German singing group, and my best friend, who was also in there, she, her brother was um, had a German band. So our German club would sponsor balls and dances, and we also would sing in, like, St. Louis, and we went to Michigan and just all over the place. We had so much fun, and the balls, I mean, we would get dressed up in beautiful gowns and the guys in tuxedos and suits, and it was just an amazing time in my life. That, that is outstanding, and it's those great memories here. Let's see. Let's take some text. Mike and Marquette says, this decade is my best decade. I moved to Marquette, graduated college at Northern Michigan University in 2012, met my wife of four and a half years, have a 20-month, one-month-old, and another on the way, and finally have a permanent career. Outstanding. You know, they're just... That's that's what we're talking about. Just this kind of stuff that that you remember, Jeff. Two thousands. I, I met my husband, the love of my life. I love you, Nicholas. Well, that's very sweet as well, Jeff. I turned fifty this year, so this is a great question. I miss the eighties. I miss the fashion. I miss the culture. I miss the slower pace of phones with a busy signal and remote answering machines. Um, things have changed. Jeff, I'm 52 years old. My favorite decade was definitely the 80s. I even remember getting Atari for a Christmas gift. I remember when MTV first came on. Jeff, I would have to say the 70s are my best decade. I married my wife for 43 years. We have two children in the same decade. I don't think it'll ever get better than that for me. Well, I hope for... I hope for you that as we move into the next decade, I hope that the 20s, they're not the roaring 20s, I hope the 20s are are your best decade. You always want to be future-looking, um, and, and that's, that's my fondest wish to you, that every day is better than the last, and you can have your memories, and we can cherish our memories, and we can remember all that stuff that's important, but we always kind of trying to do better and moving ahead and hoping tomorrow is going to be better than today. That's part of my message to you. So whichever your decade might be.